Greetings, this is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the now episode number 61. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Uh, our panel consists of Jim McCarty, Austin Bridges, and myself. Each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and to be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Uh, Jim McCarty and Austin Bridges, how do you guys feel today? Mm, pretty good. Doing well. Ready for the show. <laughs> I think we can work with that. So, um, as Austin mentioned, if you listened to the last podcast, we're trying to... to uh, freshen things up a bit and instead of um, going around a, a circle so to speak and replying to one question or rather multiple questions um, we're replying to an initial question but then riffing off of each other afterwards so today's question comes from our very dear friend Jeremy Wyland who if you're on bring forth you know him as RVA underscore Jeremy is his username fairly brilliant guy and he has a he really helps out this podcast because he sends us good questions. And um, he asks, can you comment on the tension and unity on the spiritual path between compassion for the self and the need of discipline? <clears throat> Either one of you guys want to go first or shall I pick? You go ahead and pick. <laughs> I knew none of us are the type they're going to say. I'll go first. Um... All right, eeny, meeny, miny, uh, Austin. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll go first. Um, Good job. Uh, great question, Jeremy. Uh, I think that the motivation and intention behind discipline are sort of the key factors in reconciling it with the compassion and kind of easing this tension that you're talking about. Um, the field of self-development and self-improvement, while intended to help people, I think can create imbalances in the self. Charles Eisenstein talks about this mentality of going to war against the self. And I see this sort of self-improvement mentality as a type of discipline that excludes compassion for the self. At least the more common types of 
self-improvement that we think of where you identify an aspect about yourself that you want to change because you don't like it. And so you enact discipline in order to sort of uh, bring about new behaviors or something like that. Um, and it's essentially, you know, finding a piece of ourselves and saying, you go away, I'll force you out with the power of my will and I'll replace you with something more acceptable. You don't belong here. I don't accept you. So you have to leave. Um, obviously we can't really expel those things about ourselves that we don't like. Uh, we can hide them and push them down, but they're still a part of us. And our motivation for discipline comes from an attempt to expel those things or hide those aspects of ourselves when we are uh, taking that route of self-improvement or um, uh, enacting discipline in that way. So uh, the question is, I guess, what other motivation is there to change besides finding something that we want to change about ourselves because we don't like it? And I wish that I had a good answer to that, uh, but I can try, I guess. Uh, and I think that maybe it has to do with our reasons for wanting to change. Do we want to change because we dislike something about ourselves, or do we want to change because it will allow us to walk a certain path more effectively? A path of service in whatever way that we feel is service. Um, evaluations of our personal aspects becomes about compatibility rather than judgment in that case. Instead of saying to a part of yourself, I don't like you, you have to leave and go away, we instead can say, uh, I appreciate you as a part of myself and a part of my journey, but you seem to interrupt my ability to do the things that I want to do. I love you and I will integrate you into my being, but I hope to find a more balanced way to walk this path. So this way, when we find ourselves engaging in behaviors and activities that aren't quite compatible with our paths, we don't have to get upset at ourselves. At least uh, we are truly, uh, if we're truly not judging ourselves, we wouldn't get upset at ourselves because this isn't some internal enemy that's presented itself. It's instead an old friend who pops up because maybe he feels like he hasn't quite had his say yet. Then you can greet that part of yourself with love and sit with it, giving it time and patience and searching for its balance within you. So I think that we have a tendency to get upset with ourselves when we lapse in our discipline and when we lapse in our spiritual path. And I think this is probably a sign that we haven't quite found acceptance of that part of ourselves yet or found the balance of where that is coming from yet. So I guess a quick example to uh, illustrate my um, point is that um, in saying that we don't necessarily, uh, we, we don't have to engage with these desires or urges that might interrupt our path. So let's say that you... Uh, have this habit of just watching mindless television to wind down at the end of the day and you feel like that disrupts your ability to do the things that you want to do. So uh, one night you come home and you're just exhausted and you turn on the TV until it's time for bed and then you go to bed. How do you react to yourself after that happens? I think most people in that situation would probably feel disappointed in themselves and maybe feel anger towards themselves and internally scolding themselves and promising to resist that urge next time. But what if instead of anger towards ourselves, 
um, we decided to offer love for that aspect that had this urge to just sit down and watch TV until it was time for bed. And instead of uh, trying to push away that urge next time, maybe um, we observe that urge with mindfulness. Um, like taking just five minutes, say five minutes before I turn the TV on, I'm just going to sit with this urge and let it be within me and give it space, not judge it, not beat myself up for feeling it, but just allow it to be within me in this space of love and acceptance. And after five minutes, feel free to just turn the TV on and veg out for the rest of the night. I think that um, taking a habit like this and introducing mindfulness into our desire for discipline and our path of discipline really helps to ease that tension that Jeremy's talking about between acceptance of the self and uh, discipline of the self. Because when we find ourselves needing to force our discipline, I think it is not as effective as really honoring and balancing those urges that uh, remove us from our path of discipline and then balancing them naturally, allowing them to fall away. Uh, and then that uh, allowing us to more smoothly and naturally walk that path of discipline. So that's my initial thoughts for Jeremy's question. <laughs> Thank you for, oh, sorry, I'm a little bit away from the mic probably coming yeah. in distantly. That's good. Thank you very much for those initial thoughts. Very good initial thoughts. Um, Jim? Yeah, that was great, Austin. Way to go. Indeed. Thank you. Uh, well, um, I had some thoughts on the topic. Uh, there's a number of ways of looking at the discipline. Um, if discipline is used as a punishment or an attempt to curb bad behavior that we think is bad behavior, then I can definitely see that there would be a tension between discipline and compassion for the self. If the self has judged itself in a harsh manner for some sort of unwanted behavior, then it could be said that there is a lack of compassion for whatever behavior was expressed and for the self that expressed it. The more compassionate approach might be to meditate on the causes of the unwanted behavior and see if there could be the chance to limit the kinds of situations that might lead to this behavior repeating. It would seem to me that discipline used to punish the self or limit its unwanted behavior would constitute an uninformed way of relating to the self. I think that there is a child of God in all of us that may or may not have been accepted by the mature self, the societal self, the self that grows up and is taught by the culture around it how to do this and that and how to look at itself. And it's not always in a good way. And it is this child that is being reprimanded and punished. But I think this child needs to be nurtured in its desire to express itself because it stands closest to the unconscious mind and can help to unlock the secrets of our greater self, that's with a capital S, if it is allowed to explore and express itself without judgment or punishment. It needs guidance more than it needs discipline or judgment or punishment. Now, on the other hand, if discipline is being used not as a punishment, but as a means of learning some new skill or lesson, I don't see such a damaging relationship between it and the compassion for the self. If new skills are being learned, it will take discipline or repeated exercises of this new skill over a period of time in order to master the skill. If we are attempting, for example, to learn how to improve our meditative practices, We'll need to be regular in our practice. 
or we may not realize our potential in a timely manner, which may cause us to get discouraged and even quit the practice. To ask the self to be disciplined in the learning of any new skill does not have to reflect any kind of lack of compassion for the self. In fact, seeing the self as being enhanced by the learning of a new skill is a loving thing to do for the self. So those are my thoughts. Gary, how about you? My own <clears throat> proceeded uh, along yours. Very excellently articulated. Thank you so much, Jim. Um, uh, Jeremy, I have, as I always do, I have an essay here, and <clears throat> I divided my reply into two parts. One part is how discipline and compassion are in unity, or how they intersect, and how there can be a tension between the two. So as to the first part, my contention is that without discipline, we are likely not to experience true compassion for ourselves or for others, for that matter. And I will sketch the background milieu of living life on the material plane of planet Earth to kind of uh, back up what I'm saying. We are born into a world that, generally speaking, doesn't place a high priority or value on compassion. Or if it does, it often does so only in the way of lip service, as the collective actions instead seek profit, power, status, personal gain, conflict, defense, etc. Generally, the world communicates to us that we are insufficient or inadequate for one reason or another. It communicates that the standards we will invariably fall short of merit not our own mercy, but judgment. And most importantly, the world communicates that the creator is not within us, that we are not the creator, that all life is not one, not sacred, nor beautiful, nor perfect. Everything is backwards here, and we are not taught the true value and meaning of anything, really. So in other words, we're not taught to value ourselves as we truly are. We're not taught to be tender or merciful, forgiving, and compassionate with ourselves or to recognize that whatever our seeming distortions, we are simultaneously perfect as we are. And we're not taught to see life as a learning experience where even our seeming failures and challenges are instructive, purposeful, and food for our spiritual evolution. So we, as Austin was describing in his response, we go to war with the self, attempting to impose various levels of control, repression, and force attempting not to discover and accept what we already are, but to become instead an image of who we feel society wants us to be. This divided self leads to endless confusion, especially as the heart closes and the mind loops infinitely in circular or dead-end patterns of logic. And this is the state for many, perhaps even the vast majority, of people on planet Earth. Within each of us are various levels of judgment, control, repression, fear, and everything else that arises from the illusion of separation. And if we don't seek to become conscious beings, that is to say, if we don't seek to use catalyst, then we are bound to blindly, unconsciously repeat and possibly worsen these patterns of uncompassionate separation. We will simply perpetuate human history, a long track of undisciplined, reactive, separation-based consciousness. But with discipline, we can liberate ourselves from the loops of personal and collective history. With discipline, we can begin harnessing the will and exercise the faculty of faith in order to actually use our catalyst. And if that discipline be wielded by the entity who has chosen service to others, then that discipline will seek to open the heart and foster all compassionate embrace toward self, other self, and the creation itself. 
Um, though opening the heart can be the work of a moment or can happen due to a convergence of circumstance, or one can just be born congenitally open-hearted. Um, discipline is also for the person that wishes to reliably keep the heart open in a world which has no limit on the supply of good reasons to close the heart. With discipline, one can reflect on their balance of compassion and do the work to deepen and purify and share that compassion in an ever-truer way. So this is just, um, in addition to what Austin and Jim said, just one way that compassion and discipline can intersect. Um, and to the shorter part of my reply, where there may be tension between the two. <clears throat> I would suppose that there are multiple ways that tension can arise in that dynamic. That one of two ways, I think, um, happens when discipline is conceived as something that's uncompassionate as an activity that one forces or imposes upon oneself to meet some perceived standard, which Jim and Austin were describing. Um, and that is certainly one way to institute or implement discipline. And I think that's why discipline can have a pejorative feel in certain circles. Um, and because Jeremy is a very close friend, uh, we know of his own long-term struggles with discipline due to that reason, uh, because it, it has felt to him something that is inauthentically foisted upon the authentic self. But discipline is, in the end, simply a consistency and quality of focus or attention. Upon what shall you discipline your attention? You can use discipline to force the self into expected behaviors, but you can also use discipline, as I mentioned, to turn the attention upon the work of compassion. They're not mutually exclusive. And another way I think that tension can appear between discipline and compassion happens when there is a difficulty within the self when the self is balancing love and wisdom. If there is an overabundance of compassion, which is not balanced with wisdom, and if discipline would address this balance, then the self may feel resistance to discipline. Or, on the flip side, if there is an overabundance of wisdom, not balanced by compassion, and discipline would address this imbalance, the self may feel resistance to discipline. So, a couple ideas about the way tension can arise between the two. Um, do you, either of you guys have anything to... I have different directions we could explore discipline, but do either of you guys have anything to respond to that first round with? Uh, no, not for me. No, I don't think so. All right, what's our time, Austin? Uh, we're at about 20 minutes right now. We can go however long as you guys want. Another 45 minutes more, it is. Um, kidding, Jeremy and listeners. So, Austin brought up an interesting point I hadn't considered, and that's regarding the motivation for discipline. So, I would turn the question to you guys. What do you think, on the positive path of spiritual evolution, what are the positive motivations one may have to use discipline as a tool. Well, uh, Ra mentioned in, uh, I think it was 4220, I was reading it this morning, as part of my morning offering, that uh, the relationship between parents and children is uh, very important. That one of the things that has to occur is that the parents need to be able to accept the beingness of the child that has been brought with it into the incarnation. 
And it's also a good idea to try to teach the child the uh, process of either seeking a service to self or service to others. And that is why some discipline is necessary. I would guess that that's along the same lines as what I was talking about concerning meditation and learning any new skill that you want to use to enhance yourself. In other words, be more effective in some facet of expressing uh, the energy or the love or the light or the desire to serve others that's in you. So the discipline was considered a good idea for the raising of children in a certain way. Um, But because they said... um, that was necessary in that particular situation. It kind of led me to believe that in general, though, a discipline might not be seen as being that uh, important or helpful for the uh, relationship between the, the parent and the child in general. That's just a guess. You know, that might not be right. Um, Austin, how about you? What do you think? Um, the, the questions about motivation for the discipline seeker on the positive path right yeah yeah just positive um i think in my mind i want to go to maybe some examples because motivation in that sense and what the positive path looks like i feel like can vary and even motivation can have like multiple levels of conscious and unconscious motivation so uh, let's take for instance a healer who wants to learn how to balance the self in order to heal. In my mind, the motivation there is very directly service to others. They want to help other people be healed and heal the self and um, share the love of the creator in that way. And so then discipline then enables them to unlock those pathways to heal and to help others. Let's take maybe a teacher instead where their, you know, surface motivation might not seem necessarily spiritual, but their desire is to share their knowledge and um, their admiration of the creation around them. Pretty much no matter what topic you're teaching, you're teaching about the creation. So uh, let's say a history teacher sees something very relevant and meaningful in history and feels like people can benefit from learning about history. And so they then take up discipline to learn history and to uh, walk a path of a teacher to um, acquire skills that will help them teach other people things and um, increase their knowledge and increase their awareness and uh, ability to share. So in that sense... Uh, the motivation might seem like they um, want to teach for whatever reason, but it's still, I feel like, a motivation of uh, serving others. And then maybe one more um, uh, small example, like an artist who um, wants to create art in order to express themselves and uh, uh, share their view of the world with others. That also, I think, is a way of serving others in that they are um, identifying an aspect of the creation that they appreciate and that moves them on a deep level that's probably mostly unconscious if it's art. They then take up the discipline to master their art and to become more effective at sharing this level of the creation with others. So then, again, the motivation might seem 
not directly related to serving others, but I think that ultimately we can trace it back to, um, in some way, serving others because they are looking to share the love of the Creator as they know it themselves. So I suppose at the heart of the motivation of uh, discipline for positive-oriented people, it is increasing the ability to share the love of the creation as it's known to the self. I'd agree wholeheartedly with both of you, especially your concluding thought, Austin, that the heart of it is to share the love and light as it's known to the self, to serve others, but then recognizing, like Jim was saying, that in order to learn a new skill, some discipline is needed. Like, if we rewind the clock back to the start of third density, we all come into this illusion not having knowledge. You know, nobody, I presume, maybe there's anomalies, but nobody is, like, born knowing how to create a masterpiece uh, artwork or born knowing how to heal, but rather that is a skill that can be learned. And the same with just being conscious. We Their density starts and it begins to accumulate and um, it's kind of carries over this animalistic level of consciousness whereby we are unconsciously reacting to life and repeating patterns. But at some point, the self begins to wake up to become conscious. But then to really deepen and pursue and enhance that path, discipline is needed to become increasingly conscious. I mean, so at, at some point the will awakens and then, then the will must be harnessed and used and directed. And discipline is a, is a means of will over time, a constancy and a consistency of will. Um, <clears throat> what came to me also was um, suffering could be a motivation for discipline. I know early on in my own spiritual path, I examined why it is I'm seeking. Why am I pursuing this path? Because it was a you know massive sea change from um, who I was before. It was a, a, a death and rebirth on a lot of levels. And um, one of the reasons I identified was suffering, just being in pain and wanting to find an antidote, as it were, for that pain, to end the suffering, to alleviate the suffering. And um, I think discipline is a means of achieving that particular goal as well. Uh, And uh, along with um, the original desire itself, inbuilt into all of us, whether it's seen as the upward spiraling light or our inner light or both, or just the bottom of our identity has a program that is Ra calls the original desire. And they define it as the entity's will, or rather the entities seek and become one. And um, that's at the core of, of uh, all of us and guides us on our path to the creator. And discipline is needed too because without discipline, we're um, pieces of wood floating in a sea over which we have um, no control, if you want to use that word, or no ability to direct our voyage. might be a better word. Yeah, I think... You're talking about suffering as sort of a motivation or impetus. Um, it's definitely true that that can be one on the positive path, but I think it's possible for that to be uh, on the negative path as well. It's sort of as an in- initial impetus, like somebody is suffering and then they want to relieve that suffering and find out that the way to do that is to understand, you know, the internal catalyst that is creating this suffering. Once somebody comes to understand that internal catalyst, then they can make a choice with what to do with it. They can 
control it and find meaning in their life by controlling others through controlling that internal catalyst and suffering or on the positive path accept it and use that acceptance of the self to turn outward and accept others and, and serve others yeah the negative entity um that makes complete sense to me as well, except the negative entity just reaches a far different conclusion about the source and the nature of their suffering and how to alleviate it. And eventually determines that it's just best to make other people suffer. Uh, Jim, any more thoughts on why one would be motivated for discipline? Yeah. Um, it seems as we go through more of the law of one, where Ra has a lot of... Uh, respect for discipline and um, suggestion that it be used. Um, I'll, I'll do a couple of quotes here. Quotes okay on riffing? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's oh, cheating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Ross says, The heart of the discipline of the personality is threefold. One, to know yourself. Two, to accept yourself. And three, to become the creator. The third step is that step which, when accomplished, renders one the most humble servant of all, transparent in personality and completely able to know and accept other selves. In relationship to the pursuit of the magical working, the continuing discipline of the personality involves the adept in knowing itself, accepting itself, and thus clearing the path towards the great indigo gateway to the Creator. And then in another uh, quote, uh, To the disciplined entity, all things are open and free. The discipline which opens the universes opens also the gateways to evolution. And uh, Ra talks about the development of will and faith and says there is but one technique for this growing and nurturing of will and faith. And that is the focusing of the attention. The attention span of those you call children is considered short. The spiritual attention span of most of your peoples is that of the child. Thus, it is a matter of wishing to become able to collect one's attention and hold it upon the desired programming. This, when continued, strengthens the will. The entire activity can only occur when there exists faith that the outcome of this discipline is possible. So it looks like as we become more spiritually aware and conscious seekers that we can use discipline not as a means of any kind of punishment or um, getting rid of bad behavior, although you can get rid of bad behavior too. Uh, uh, Ross said the self, if conscious to a great enough extent of the workings of the catalyst of fasting, techniques of programming made through concentration of will and faculty of faith alone, cause reprogramming without the analogy of fasting, diet, or other analogous body complex distortions. So I think discipline really has a lot of uh, uses for the conscious seeker. And they're, they're not any kind of punishment or uh, denigration of the self. They are meant to enhance the self and grow into the larger self so that the small self becomes the larger self so that we seek and find the creator. Um, any thoughts on that? Guys, yeah, I, I, I discipline can be used as punishment, but I agree with you that its positive and ultimate use isn't punishment and isn't even really to make yourself do certain things. Um, certainly, like the discipline of learning a new skill and mastery, as you guys were describing, uh, involves like taking certain actions and repeatedly and over time. <clears throat> but the discipline and consciousness, I think that uh, Ra is describing where 
in the quote you read, Jim, one, know yourself, two, accept yourself, three, become the creator. That discipline of consciousness, to me, is a matter of, uh, you might call it, like stepping back and bringing your attention to the things that you are already doing. <clears throat> I think you were speaking to this too, Jim. And then through that process, hopefully begin to discover the authentic you and allowing that which is inauthentic to fall away and thereby making choices that are more aligned with the authentic you through this this purification and crystallization and discovery. Yeah, good points. I like that. I see a theme of habit forming that connects the two between, like Jim and I were talking about, discipline of learning a new skill versus... Uh, what you were talking about, which isn't necessarily different, but the concept of um, the discipline of stepping back and uh, observing the larger context of the creator in everything. And I think that both of those things happen through um, sort of will of habit. If you want to become a master at something skill-wise, you basically have to form a habit of practice and of accomplishing things and a habit of bettering yourself. And I think that in order to achieve that transparency of personality that uh, Jim referenced, it becomes a habit of in situations um, recognizing that you have sort of started to inhabit the smaller self and step back and recognize the larger self that is the creator. And um, as you form that habit, as you do that more and more, I think that state of larger consciousness becomes more and more available to us, and that's how that transparency is achieved. Could you repeat the last sentence? As you do that habit... As you perform that habit, it is more available to you. That sort of uh, um, perspective of the larger self becomes more and more available. The habit reinforces itself, and you become... I can't remember the exact sentence I said, but the the sentiment was uh, you do that more and more as a habit, as uh, you realize more and more that you're inhabiting the smaller self, and then you're able to then, through will and choice, inhabit the larger self instead. Would you say, say the desirable habit that you want? You yeah. Wanna, you want to practice some particular skill. That habit arises out of your desire to learn that skill. Yeah. So then discipline is, therefore, a means of discovering what that actual desire is or what your desires are. And then if you're blocking your own desires, too, what those are. And discipline is a certain quality of attention that you bring to that process of discovery. I think I'm just repeating you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and doing it very well. <laughs> In different words, you could say it's like a refining of the, the desire. Yeah, giving it the space, cultivating it. Um, and that just subtly reorients the perspective from this uh, forcing oneself to do something or um, <clears throat> making something happen to allowing the self to choose that in a way and finding out what the true self wants, at least at that nexus in your evolution. What about discipline as a restrictive thing? We're talking about the kind of like the uh, positive aspect of discipline insofar as discipline is used to um, enact something or to do something 
or to, to gain, as it were. What about the discipline that draws boundaries for the self that says no, that's used in a restrictive way? Uh, like, for instance, the dieter that doesn't, knows, like has the desire to eat the donuts, but um, knows that that's probably not in the self's best interest or um, the person who wants to cheat on their partner and uh, instead draws a line and says, no, that's, I'm, have this commitment to the relationship or, you know, whatever the case may be. Is that, is that the inauthentic slash false discipline or is that also a positive use of discipline to kind of corral the self, to keep the self from making choices that the self knows are poor? Sometimes it doesn't seem like there's any other way in order to uh, achieve the goal that you want to achieve, you know, uh, either uh, losing weight or being faithful or whatever, other than uh, this sort of a negative approach to uh, no, no, no. Uh, when I first started the, the reading this uh, little part I started off with, I was trying to figure out, well, what would be the alternative? How could you look at a situation that you wanted to change for the better and do something other than punishing or limiting yourself. And I really couldn't come up with anything solid. Uh, it was more of a, well, what's the situation and, and how can I positively affect the situation? And, and it just seemed to be like it was, uh, in some instances, where you're just trying to get a, a basic level of purity in your behavior that uh, you, you just kind of have to be a taskmaster. Anybody got any alternatives? <laughs> I don't like taskmasters. <laughs> um, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about um, the intention of doing so and then how you relate to that self that is arising to uh, eat that donut or to cheat on your partner. And uh, obviously, I think it it's impossible to avoid sacrifice and discipline Um Otherwise, discipline wouldn't really be a thing, I don't think. You have to choose to do one thing instead of another thing, especially in things like this where uh, you want to eat healthier, you have a desire to eat a donut, you have to choose not to eat that donut to fulfill your discipline. Um, maybe not every time, you know, obviously you can treat yourself, but as a habit, you have to learn how to handle that urge to eat the donut. And I think the positive and non-harmful and maybe even non-restrictive use of discipline isn't necessarily to approach that urge as uh, an enemy, as a battle against the self, as that self inside of yourself that you have to subdue in order to win, but instead as a, uh, a friend that needs some attention. And that's where the mindfulness aspect comes in, is when that urge arises to eat the donut, maybe say, all right, in five minutes, I will let myself eat this donut. But first, I'm going to sit with this urge. And there is truly a transformative power behind mindfulness used in that sense when you allow it to just exist without judgment within yourself. It is um, truly a powerful thing, and uh, it transforms itself. Like Ross says, that which is not needed falls away. So if we look at these things as uh, friends that are trying to teach us something, 
then um, it becomes not such a harsh thing towards the self. You can make friends with those aspects of yourself that are trying to distract you from the path and realize that they aren't necessarily trying to distract you. They're just saying, hey, there's something you need to do first, and uh, I'll tell you what that is if you just pay attention to me. I I really think that's the key to um, the non-conflicted, non um, what's the word? non-controlling form of discipline, the positive use of discipline. And that is, <clears throat> like you said, to see that which is undesired as a self, as a friend, or as Jim was describing earlier, as the child that needs nurtured. And this quality of attention that you bring to it where you're not warring with the self is in and of itself a learning of compassion for the self. It's um, using discipline to be compassionate towards the self um, and especially towards those aspects of self that are deemed undesirable. And from that standpoint, then, I think it's not unhealthy to put the brakes on or to say no, to draw a boundary, say, uh, yeah, I recognize, for a simplistic example, I recognize the the need for the donut and the hunger and the desire for it, but, and like, I hear you and I feel you and like, let's work on this. I'm uh, mimicking an internal dialogue, of course. Uh, but I seek a different path or a different outcome. Um, I seek a space wherein I uh, have a body that is more fit and effective for a service than that which the donut would do for me. And I, I need to guard this space and, and nurture it and protect it. So I have to say no to this desire. But doing so in a way, like as you were just articulating, Austin, that is that does not go to war with the self. But th- at the same time, doesn't indulge in every single desire available which is um one side note to ra to 18.5 where ra says that the uh, the proper role of the entity in third density is to experience all things desired and we three would all agree with that general point of course but sometimes and often rather um desires are mutually exclusive and contradictory you one you can't experience both simultaneously you either experience one or the other or you're in conflict and um like austin was saying and brought in a really good word sacrifice is part of discipline too because to choose one thing you're not choosing another but one can do so with love <clears throat> for the whole self made some serious headway here uh, thanks so much, Jim and Austin, for uh, riffing so excellently on that. And uh, I think Austin has a quote for us before we turn to Jim for his final thoughts to the listeners. Yeah, and I hope Jim didn't already read this one. I don't think that he did. But it is one of my favorite quotes about discipline from the raw material, and it kind of highlights the um, the point of discipline and what it can do for us in our spiritual journeys. And it's also one of my favorite parts of the raw material because uh, it's where Don and Ra were talking about spacecraft and um, uh, how they traveled and how uh, extraterrestrials were able to travel through either spacecraft and technology or through thought. And uh, Don figured out that um, it was the disciplines of the personality that allowed 
entities to travel by thought, and the technology was sort of a crutch to use before one achieved the proper disciplines of personality. So I like that dynamic. It highlights to me a really cool part of the raw material of there being sort of a surface teaching and then an under-teaching. But the end of uh, the question and answer, at um, it's session 52, the second question, um, Ra uses the quote about the hitchhiker that I really like, so I'll read it to you. Uh, to the disciplined entity, all things are open and free. The discipline which, one, which opens the universes opens also the gateways to evolution. The difference is that of choosing either to hitchhike to, to a place where beauty may be seen or to walk step by step, independent and free in this independence, to praise the strength to walk and the opportunity for the awareness of beauty. The hitchhiker instead is distracted by conversation and the vagaries of the road, dependent upon the whims of others, is concerned to make the appointment in time. The hitchhiker sees the same beauty, but has not prepared itself for the establishment in the roots of the mind of the experience. So the that quote to me uh, sort of illustrates that there are sort of these two paths to discipline, uh, one is sort of a shortcut, which I think highlights the discipline in which we kind of punish the self and try to suppress these things. The other one, I think, highlights the patience and the acceptance of the positive path of um, really step by step trying to understand the self in this discipline and uh, understand those things about ourselves that we might find counter to this discipline and um, the strength and the patience it takes to accept those and how that pays off in the end. So just wanted to share that. Thank you very much. Jim, any thoughts for the listeners? Yes, we thank you all for listening to us. Uh, you are our reason for being here today. And each time we have a podcast of In the Now, we appreciate your questions so much. Uh, to us, those are uh, verbalized love. We also feel your love coming through the airways and the podways, if that is possible. And we send our love back to you. We love you so much. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. Um, hope you have a great two weeks. We will see you again. You've been listening to LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, for supporting the podcast with your questions, and a special thanks to Jeremy for sending us this question um, along with all the others. He has helped us with over the times if you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org slash podcast new episodes are published to the archive website every other wednesday afternoon eastern or so have a wonderful couple weeks and we'll talk with you then